we are on James Lesson 4, and he's going to talk to us today about two things, wisdom and the tongue. And actually, he's going to, he's really only talking to us about one thing, and it's the same thing that he has talked to us about since verse 1, and he will talk to us until the last verse of this book. He's going to talk to us about our faith about our hearts. We will see how wisdom and uh, the tongue relate to our hearts through this lesson. Now he starts out with a warning, which I took very personally. Teachers don't, many of you become teachers because teachers will be judged for their words. Teachers have an influence and they will be held accountable and God is protective over his body. He is protective over his children. And if a teacher goes astray, the potential is for many others to go also. And so the responsibility and the warning is to not take lightly because in the very next verse it says we all stumble, even teachers. And so we have to take that very seriously. And it is a warning, um, and he is not saying that teaching is bad, but he is trying to protect the teacher and that role in the church, I believe. And so then we see in verse 2 that there was only one perfect man. And that perfect man, as we all know, was Jesus and the logical conclusion from this is that we all stumble in what we say. It's just a truth. The power of the tongue and also the pen or the tweet is, is extreme. And he's going to talk to us about the power of the tongue. Although it is very small, his first examples are that of a horse's bit and a ship's rudder. I did a little bit of research that I thought you might find interesting. But the USS Eisenhower was a US or is a US aircraft carrier. It is one of the largest ships ever built in the world. It is 91,000 tons. It is 1,100 feet long it is nuclear powered and has a 280,000 horsepower engine. It houses 6,100 crew people and 100 aircraft. Now this ship, as large and heavy as it is, is steered by a rudder, which is just a tenth of 1% of the ship's size. So very small, but very useful and powerful. Same with a horse's bit. By using a bit, we can control and direct the horse, and the horse now becomes useful and productive. And our tongues are like that. They are small, 
but they are powerful. And now these two examples are kind of neutral because a horse and that bit, that horse can be directed to either good or bad. And same with the ship. But the next example he gives us is not so positive. He says that the tongue is an entire, in verse six alone, here are some of the things that he calls our tongue, some of the language that he uses. It's a world of iniquity. It defiles the entire body. It sets on fire the course of our life. It, sets, it is set on fire by hell. That's kind of interesting. Hell ignites our tongue and then it affects our whole body and our whole life goes up in flames. That's kind of sobering. The tongue is its an entire ecosystem unto itself, a world unto itself. It cannot be said of any other parts of our body. Could you imagine whole sections of Proverbs dedicated to the misuse of the elbow or the toe? Our tongues are unique. And yet, I would dare say that our tongue is probably the only muscle that we never fail to exercise thoroughly in our bodies. It has the capacity for evil like nothing else. It is unique in its awful capabilities, and yet every other part of the body is affected by it. Nothing is beyond its impact. Every area of life can be scorched and charred by its fires. A bit of innuendo here, a harsh word there, some gossip, a dash of exaggeration. It can all seem so harmless. A spark is such a small thing after all. And yet, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And fires can be very devastating. I have experienced that personally. As some of you know, a couple years ago, um, the campfire in paradise, uh, there was some property that's been in my family for generations that was affected and it is totally gone. We visited recently and um, it's, it's a devastating thing. The whole town of paradise is gone. It, it, it's hard to comprehend until you um, are there. And this fire was started early in the morning on November 8th, it was a Thursday morning, and it was miles and miles and miles away from paradise. I, I don't know the exact miles. I was going to try and figure it out and look it up. I didn't have time. But I'll tell you what. It started over here, and between where it started and the town of Paradise, there was not one but two enormous canyons with rivers running through, and it flew. It was the perfect storm. And it started by a single spark. A single spark fell from the wire 
It was the PG&E wires. And the issue was not the spark, because it's caused, I believe, by a bird, but that it was in a very rural area, and the undergrowth had not been cleaned up. So that spark found just the right tinder, and the fire started, and it was so windy that day that it, we heard about the fire. My son called me up and said, Mom, there's a fire out there near Paradise. I looked it up, and I, oh, well, that's not even close. That's far. Within 20 minutes, I had family in Paradise, and there was fire there. They were trying to get out, and it was a harrowing experience. Um, that fire, that wind picked up that fire and those embers and carried it from canyon to canyon to canyon through the top of the trees. And within an hour, the fire wasn't just in paradise, it was on the other side and the canyon on the other side. So now the fire was coming from all sides, surrounded the town, burned for over a week before they got it out and totally devastated that town and everything that was in, in its track. It's, it's hard for us to comprehend that, and it's also hard for us to comprehend the effects of our words. I um, shared in my group, sometimes we're not even aware of the carnage we leave in our wake, right? But if it finds just the right tinder, in just the right conditions, that fire can be so devastating. And trust me, the enemy is just waiting. He loves when our tongues are on fire. And he will use it in any way he can. We, it is sobering. And I believe that this lesson is very sobering in that respect, that we have to understand the effects that our words have on others and on the kingdom of God. And so James goes on to tell us that our tongue is set on fire by hell, and then it sets the entire course of our lives on fire. In Greek, the word translated hell means Gehenna. And if you were a Jewish believer or a Jewish person that lived anywhere or had, was at all familiar with Jerusalem, you would have instantly re recognized Gehenna. Gehenna was the name of a dump. And there was a, a valley that ran along one side outside a town of Jerusalem, and they dumped all their trash and waste in there, and they used to burn it. And when it burned, the smoke and the smell and the stench they knew the trash was burning. And this is the word picture that James is using when our tongues are set on fire by hell. It brings all that stench and it creates the smell and the smoke and the stink. And this word was only used in the New Testament by James and Jesus during in his teaching in the gospels but this is what he's talking about and this is the picture that his audience would have instantly recognized after likening the tongue to a fire a wild beast 
and deadly poison. You know, the deadliest poison is poison that you cannot see and you cannot smell, that you cannot detect. How many times self-deceiving, careless words, or even conniving, right? Maybe you don't want them to detect what your evil plan is, but words can be like that too. It says there are full of poison, deadly poison. So what is the answer to this tongue, to this weapon of mass destruction that resides behind the teeth in our mouths that we walk around with every day and exercise fully? What is the answer? And I believe that James gives us the answer in the next section when he talks about wisdom and, he, and the wisdom that we get from God. Now remember, I just wanted to make another point about a weapon of mass destruction. Your tongue can wreck more havoc than an atomic bomb. I believe that's true. Because it doesn't just kill the body, which is temporal, but it's set on fire by hell, which is spiritual. And some of the damage that can be caused by your tongue is eternal. Think about that. That's very, very sobering. So, the wisdom. He contrasts human wisdom and godly wisdom. And he talks about um, the difference. And one is from, it's earthly, even sensual and uh, satanic. And one is pure and holy. And God's wisdom, I believe that the word first before pure is important because it's emphasizing that it has to be pure, that it is pure because God is holy. There is no evil that resides in God, and so his wisdom is pure. It is first, it's peaceable. True peace is always an outgrowth of purity. When the peace of God follows the purity of God's wisdom into our hearts and lives, it will affect those around us. Strife comes from following the world's wisdom, but gentleness is a characteristic of God's servants. It is willing to yield which can also be translated listens to reason or a teachable spirit, not stubborn in its thought process, but willing to be taught and listened to logic, is full of mercy. God's wisdom, like our faith, can and does produce good fruit. It can be seen like James says about our faith, it can be seen and should be seen in our behavior. It is without partiality. Does this sound at all familiar? The lessons that we had last week on partiality is amazing to me. I was sharing this morning on the ride in here with Carol how much I am seeing and learning as I study James 
that it, it's all really one cohesive theme that ties together. I, I didn't see that before. I thought that it was more like the book of Proverbs where it has all these little idioms because you hear all these quotes out of James and you only hear that one verse. But here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. It is without partiality. So the weaknesses that we dealt with last week that we see that come from partiality can all be solved by the wisdom of God. And what did James tell us in chapter 1? That God gives his wisdom generously, without reproach. He's waiting for us to ask him for wisdom. So it is without hypocrisy. Wisdom from above is sincere and real. It doesn't say one thing and do another. It is not double-minded. Those who possess godly wisdom do not discriminate against others. So just a couple of scriptures that I want to share with you. The answer is not to never use our tongue. And the answer is not seven steps in how to control your tongue. Because the answer will never come from self-control. The answer is from surrender. James tells us that no man can tame his tongue. We are able by God's grace to tame all the wild beasts and do amazing things, but man cannot and is not able to tame his own tongue. And the reason for that is that our tongue is an amplifier and a megaphone for the things that are in our heart. And James says that with our tongues we worship the Lord and turn around and curse men who are made in God's image. This reflects the war that is going on in our hearts. The war that Paul talks about when he says, what I want to do, I don't. But what I don't want to do, I do, right? We have a flesh that we war against and it's reflected in our hearts through our tongues. And so we have, if being aware of that will help us. And the answer, I believe, is being surrendered to God's Spirit. Be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about when you come to the Word, to come humbly and being willing to be obedient to the Word, to the Holy Spirit. Spending time in the Word, the washing of the Word. God is a God who speaks to us. He is a perfect example of words that are used for life. We are washed by the Word. When we come to the cross, we are washed by the blood of the Lord. And that is a legal, gives us a legal standing before God. But we must come to the Word and be washed by the Word every day. Every day. This is our sanctification process that's going on in our hearts. God is fitting us for heaven, for that relationship with Him. And remember, I don't remember who said it, but you become like that which you worship 
So when you spend time in his word and win his presence and worshiping him, your heart becomes more like him. And as we submit our hearts to him, then out of it flows life. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We are called to watch over the things that God entrusts to us, right? Well, the number one thing he entrusts to you is your heart. And scripture informs us to be diligent about guarding our hearts. Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Is this not what James is telling us? How that fire can affect the whole course of your life. How a small thing like a bit can direct a horse and the direction for either good or evil. It depends on who's riding the horse, right? If you let the Spirit of God in and be the director, you know that what's going to it's going to produce in you is life, and then that is what's going to flow and encourage each other. Remember that a man is known by his words. It takes only a single word sometimes to tarnish a reputation and to affect your witness. So the greatest damage that our words do is not, we talked about in our group, we all have can remember times in our lives where someone said something careless and that hurt our hearts. And you don't forget, God heals you, but it stays with you. But that is not even the greatest damage that we do with our words, our careless words. I believe the greatest damage is that we tarnish the glory of God. We tarnish our witness. Our job is to be reflecting God's glory to the world and our witness is tarnished when our words are careless. And I was very convicted of that this week. My husband is a baby, baby Christian, like a couple months. And I find myself saying things that I regret often. It's always the people that are always there and close to you. And um, I, I hear the words coming out of my mouth and my heart is already stricken. And it's, I, the Lord is dealing with me in this, so I am very aware. But it is heartbreaking to think, and God's grace is, it is sufficient. His mercy is never ending. That is, is my hope. Jesus said in John 6, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And he spoke this to his disciples at the Last Supper. He had just said to them, and it's the scripture we often hear quoted in church during communion, this is my body that I broke for you, this is my blood. Well, they did not comprehend what he was talking about. And he said to them, my words are spirit, they are life unto you. It's so profound, and it, this is the example that we should be walking in. And we can. We will stumble. 
but we can. Being spirit-filled, spirit-led, that's the hope. God can fill us with himself, spending that time with him. Before we come to the Lord, we don't know how to live spiritually. We live in our flesh and in our soul, through our emotions and our mind and those things, because that's all we know, right? But God comes and he says, I am making you new. I am giving you something new. And with that comes his spirit that lives in us. And so now we have with the Lord a bank account that is endless, that we can come to whenever and withdraw. And yet because of it's all we knew and it's our habit, we tend to go over here to this limited, polluted maybe account that is earthly wisdom, right? I heard um, when I was studying one uh, teacher talk about uh, psychology and how many Christians don't um, put a lot of emphasis on psychology and they feel like there's a lot of things in there that are issue, which is very true. But he made a distinction that I had not heard before. And he said, the study of psychology has a lot of knowledge and it's good knowledge and we should not reject knowledge. Knowledge is neutral. But he said, how you handle that knowledge, what you do with that knowledge is wisdom. And the field of psychology, their knowledge is not what's bad. It's that they use earthly wisdom to interpret that knowledge instead of godly wisdom. And I thought that was a really good example of what we see in the world today and sometimes even fall into. So I, I love this passage of scripture that talks about God's wisdom being holy and merciful and full of good fruits and gentle. It's a reminder that if we are seeing that fruit, we can see wisdom, God's wisdom in our lives. There should be evidence of it, just like faith has evidence. And we can see that, and that's the encouragement and the hope that we have. So I encourage you ladies to go home and spend some time with the Lord in spirit and in truth, and just let him wash you and bless you Father, we just thank you for your word. I thank you for the faith of these ladies. And, and I thank you for your grace and your mercy that covers us. I pray, Lord, as they go home, you will take this word and you will wash them. And you will bless them. And you will plant it deep, deep in their hearts, Lord. That it might produce fruit and glory for you. Help us as we study this week and bring us back with expect expectant hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.